say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, world. You're listening to Eleanor Wagner's Strange and Scary World here on the Paranormal UK Radio Network, where we're always creeping it real. I'm your host, Eleanor Wagner. Today's guest is a podcaster himself. His Paranormal Odyssey podcast is a place where you can go to hear and share stories of UFO sightings or ghost stories. His Sasquatch Odyssey podcast is a place to go share your own Bigfoot or cryptid tale. Please join me in welcoming Brian King-Sharp. Hi, Brian. Hey, Eleanor. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. I appreciate you asking me on the show. If it's okay with you, I'd like to start our interview off with the Bigfoot side of your knowledge. You have a podcast specifically dedicated to Sasquatch. Can you tell me a little bit about it, if you will? Well, the interest in Sasquatch, Bigfoot, started for me when I was young. I had an experience when I was around 12 where I believed that I was paced out of the woods by one of these things, and I had some huffs and growls and things that happened. And again, I thought I was paced out, bluff charged, that kind of thing, and it scared the shit out of me. So I ran back to the house and didn't tell anybody about it, and I had no idea what had happened. I had hunted and been in these woods, grown up in these woods all my life, and I'd never experienced anything like that. So for me, it was very, it was a scary thing for a 12-year-old, right? And I really didn't realize what it was until later on when I started getting older and I started looking into books and watching documentaries and seeing things on television about Bigfoot. And I sort of put two and two together and thought, well, maybe that's what I experienced. And of course, I still don't know. I didn't see what it was, so I have no clue. But the interest was sparked and... And I just continued it into my adult life. I grew up, I became a police officer. I was in law enforcement for about 16 years of my my life. And I put everything on the back burner. I didn't really go to work and talk about Bigfoot or UFOs or cryptids or anything like that. So when I left the police department back in 2016, it gave me the freedom and the time to go back into and pursue those interests. So I started looking into Bigfoot research and reading a lot of books, watching a lot of documentaries and things like that. I didn't get out in the woods and I 
still don't get out in the woods as much as I'd like to and do my own investigation. Most of my investigating is done behind the microphone, documenting people's encounters and their reports, right? So back in February of this year, I decided that I'd start listening to some Bigfoot podcasts. I was never even into podcasts. I, I knew they existed, but I'd never listened to one. And a friend of mine turned me on to a couple of podcasts, and he was like, I think you'd really enjoy these shows. One of them was a Bigfoot show. So I started listening to the show, and I loved it. And I thought, well, maybe I should do that. Maybe I should start documenting people's stories from the Southeast. I'm in North Carolina. I was born and raised in Georgia. Had my experiences in Georgia. So I thought, maybe I'll start my own show and document as many of these cases in the Southeast as I can. So I started looking for people in North Carolina and then Tennessee and Georgia and started doing interviews. And I had no idea how to podcast. The first couple of interviews that I did were done on my phone. I recorded them on my phone, my iPhone, on an app called Rev, R-E-V. And the audio quality was horrible. And I had no idea what I was doing, of course. But at least I was documenting the encounters. That was the main thing for me, was getting into the encounters. And the more I talked to people, the more I saw the interesting encounters they were having. And I was talking to people in North Carolina. And then I would talk to somebody in Canada. And then I talked to somebody from Ohio. Then I talked to somebody from Illinois. And they were having very similar encounters. And it just snowballed from there. I'm on almost 100 shows in now. And I've done tons of interviews with people from literally around the world. I just got off the phone with a lady a couple of days ago from the UK who does oh. paranormal investigations and she had a Bigfoot encounter in the UK. So it's it's just something that I've enjoyed doing and, and doing the Bigfoot show. A lot of people are purists when it comes to their cryptids and a lot of the Bigfoot folks are not into some of the more paranormal things. But doing those interviews, I started talking to people who had dogman encounters. They had UFO mm-hmm. encounters. They were encountering orbs and other things that they couldn't explain. So I started the Paranormal Odyssey to document those particular cases of the paranormal and that has sort of snowballed into other things. So I know I'm rambling, but that's sort of how how the show got started and it's what sort of led into the paranormal odyssey as well. So I do a little bit of everything. Bigfoot, dogman, UFOs, ghosts. Have you noticed though that people like you and I who have had these experiences, we've had other experiences in different arenas as well. And I can see how it's very possible for somebody say, are you full of shit? How could you have seen a UFO and had a Bigfoot experience and have seen ghosts? I don't have an answer for that. I think it's kind of strange, too, that most people like you and I have had more than one experience in different arenas. Is there a connection? Maybe there is. I don't know, but I do find it quite interesting. I do as well. And that's one of the questions that I ask often on the show is, are these people who have these tons of experiences full of shit, frankly? Because, and I say that only because it's odd, it's weird in and of itself to see a UFO. It's not something that everybody experiences. Same thing with Bigfoot. It's, I think it's a once in a lifetime thing. And when I interview people who say, oh yeah, yeah, I've had I've, I've seen Bigfoot 25 times. You know, I see they're on my property. And the next question is, well, have you had any other strange? Oh, yeah, there's orbs all the time, all the time. <laughs> yeah. And then, well, well, any other strange lights? Oh, yeah, there's UFOs. <laughs> One landed in the backyard. And I'm like, oh, OK, OK, here we go. We're, we're going down the, the slippery slope, right? But I have a pretty good bullshit meter. My BS meter yeah. is pretty good for yes. 16 years as a cop. So... Uh-huh. 
I can tell when somebody's being honest with me or not. And I tell you exactly. a lot of those people that I've had on the show that I'm listening to it for the first time early on show four five or six. And I'm shaking my head going, there is no way this guy experienced this. And mm-hmm. like I said, 10 months later, I'm having a conversation with somebody who is completely 100% sane. And I believe wholeheartedly says some right. of the very similar things that I'm, I'm hearing from this guy. And I'm like, well, man, you know, I, I really feel bad that I doubted his story because I don't think he's crazy at all. I think it really happened. Right. I like to pride myself on having a good read on people as well. And I've had similar instances as that as well. But when I was writing my first book, Sussex County Hauntings, I decided to add the other strange phenomena section to the book because people were coming to me with their sighting stories of Bigfoot in the woods of High Point State Park here in Sussex County. It ended up that the Bigfoot chapter in the other strange phenomena section was the biggest chapter in the whole book. So you can see that there are a lot of people that do believe in Bigfoot. And I see that possibility that you do as well. There's so much we do not know about the Bigfoot species. And I do know that over the years, people believe they've discovered facts and a better understanding of them. From my own interviews with people who have had their own Bigfoot sightings or who have studied and sought them out themselves, it's said that they have their own families. Have you ever heard that before? Like families of Bigfoot? I have heard that several times from several different people. And I have to be honest with you, I tend to steer away from those kind of people because we don't know anything about these creatures. We we frankly don't even know that they're real. I believe that they exist. I don't know that they exist. I have right. not had an experience. I haven't seen them with my own eyes. And some of the evidence Patterson Gimlin film, for example. I believe that that's a real video. I believe it's a real film of a real, what appears to be a Sasquatch. However, there's always that doubt that I'm just not so sure. So five days out of seven, yeah, I believe I'm, I'm in the camp that Bigfoot is real. I think it's a, I think it's some sort of an ape. I think it's a relict hominoid, but I just don't know. And I always leave that little bit of doubt, even from my own experiences. You know, I, I saw a UFO when I was 16. I still don't know what it was. I don't know if there was a little green or gray man flying it, and it was certainly unidentified, but I don't know if it was alien technology. I can't say that definitively, so I can't say that about Bigfoot. And back to your original question, when people come to me and say, yeah, I know Bigfoot have families. Well, how the hell do you know that? Do you have one? Do you have a family in your backyard that you're studying? Because I'm not so sure about that. The explanation that they gave me when I asked was they have unearthed an area where this Bigfoot family frequents, and they've gotten varying sizes of footprints in their casts. So they would have had some that were smaller than others. Well, sure. And when you say that, that makes sense to me, right? Because mm-hmm. you can't have a Bigfoot without having baby feet. <laughs> so if there's actually a species out there, these things, there's got to be more than one. So I would tend to say, yes, there's a there's got to be breeding pairs out there. These things would have died off thousands of years ago. So yes, I certainly agree that there's got to be baby Bigfoot out there. But we don't know. And I guess what I'm trying to say is the people I've had these conversations with have told me things like they travel in family packs and this is the hierarchy and they, they start going down this path of what these things do every day. And I'm like, there's no way you could know that. Now, of right. course, you find footprints, you find evidence, and there's tiny little footprints next to these 14, 15, 16 inch prints. Well, yeah, it's it's logical it makes, to say. It makes you wonder. Yeah, it makes you wonder. Sure. But have you heard anything about the the knocking of the trees down that they like to knock trees down 
that was something that was said a lot in interviews with people. That is another thing that I've had so many conversations with people in the Bigfoot world. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know about the tree knocking. I've certainly heard about it. And it's something anybody who's watched Finding Bigfoot has seen Cliff and Bobo and these folks go out on television and they do these tree knocks and they say they get these responses. I've talked to some very credible people. I interviewed a guy recently, Kane, whose show will be out here on Sasquatch Odyssey. This guy lives in the woods. He's in the middle of nowhere. And he's been investigating Bigfoot for 20 years. And he believes mm-hmm. that they do tree knocks. And again, I'm right there with you, pal. I can go down that road with you. I'm just not so sure what it means. Right. That you know of. Has anyone come close to catching one ever? Well, there's certainly been historical accounts in the past of these things being shot and killed. I believe that there have been situations in the past. What do you do in 1785 when you shoot a Bigfoot? I mean, what do you do with that? You shoot it because it was killing your cows and you move on. And these stories happen throughout history and I've certainly read those documented accounts of what were called hairy men back then. There wasn't Bigfoot back then. There wasn't Sasquatch back then. It was hairy men or wild men. Mm -hmm. So I certainly think that those things have happened. Even in the 20s and 30s, the incident at 8 Canyon with the miners that said they shot and killed one and then their pack or group or family group came back that night for revenge and almost tore the cabin apart. So there's been accounts in the past of that. But Oh, interesting. I didn't know. See, here in Sussex County, people have connected the first Bigfoot sightings in this county to to the close proximity in time of a UFO crash in Lake Owasa. So it was speculated that Bigfoot came from that spacecraft crash. So that's just in this general area. I've talked to people who believe that. I've talked to people who have interviewed other people who have said they've seen Bigfoot coming and going off of a what appeared to be an alien craft. Mm-hmm. I'm just not there. I don't close my mind to that. I certainly take those accounts just like I do anything else and say, hey, if that was your experience, right. okay. And you may be right. I mean, nobody knows. I just, I'm not there yet with this theory that aliens are traveling either interdimensionally or from other solar systems and Bigfoot's like their pet dog that they drop off to go potty and then they pick it up and take off. I'm just not there yet. <laughs> But I'm open. I'm open to that line of thought and that at the end of the day, nobody knows because if UFOs exist and Bigfoot exist, then why can't there be a connection? And I've I've had people like Preston Dennett, a UFO investigator on the show, and Preston used to tell me during the interview, I bet he said it to me 20 times in the interview, Brian, everything is connected. Everything is connected. And I keep saying that because (laughs) the more I, I peel back the onion, the more connections I find. So I'm open to that. I'm just not there yet. You're just not there yet. I think, and we were just talking about how they killed Bigfoot and then the family came back and wreaked havoc on the cabin. I think the public is definitely divided on whether they're dangerous or not. I mean, early sightings in Sussex County have them wreaking havoc and killing bunnies in their pens. And I hear other stories that they just want to be obscure and get away from you. So I don't know what to think. What do you think? Well, I can tell you from doing this show and doing these interviews, 99% of the interviews that I do are not pleasant. They're really? Not, they're not pleasant encounters. And I'm not necessarily saying that people were in danger. I've only had one person on the show that was actually physically harmed by a Bigfoot. He was in, I think it was British Columbia, Canada. He was on an island 
as a as a boy and he came on a he was going up a path and he ran across a bigfoot and it had a stump that that still had the root ball attached to it and it was carrying it across the path and this kid looked it in the face and really didn't back down to what equates to be an apex predator and this thing chunked the log at him and hit him in the chest and i mean he wasn't oh wow he wasn't killed he wasn't fatally wounded but he was i mean it roughed him up but just the audio encounters the this thing was yelling at me in the woods kind of encounters or the bluff charging that i believe i experienced when i was 12 was not pleasant i mean it was this there's this feeling that people describe when they have these encounters with these things like i am not supposed to be here i have got to get the hell out of here because this thing could literally rip me from limb to limb oh my and not necessarily that that's their intention because there's there's always the flip side you know that's probably 99 percent but there's another one maybe one to five percent who say it was strolling in the woods singing kumbaya picking flowers with bigfoot (laughs) and it was the complete opposite it was talking to me through telepathy telling me that i mean you no harm i'm your forest friend i've heard that before yeah you know Mm -hmm. so i don't know when when 99 percent of the people that i'm interviewing are telling me that they don't have very pleasant experiences with these things I tend to lean towards that, and I, yeah. I take that as being the the rule, not the exception. Have you heard the Joe Keaton Jr. story? I have not. I read an article about Joe Keaton Jr. He was a Bigfoot hunter who vowed to kill Bigfoot because he felt it was responsible for the killing of an 18-year-old in his community named Ricky Sawyer. In 2018, Keaton was found dead in the woods by a creek, and the scene showed signs of a massive struggle. There were tree limbs broken all over. One of Joe's guns was warped and bent. Keen's body displayed signs of severe trauma, including fractures to both his legs, his shoulder, his arm. His neck was snapped and his chest cavity was completely crushed. It was said that whatever did it to him had the strength of 10 men. His face was even deformed. His body had been stripped of clothes and he was hung from a tree like some sort of animal. And according to multiple witnesses, thick brown hair was found in each of Keaton's still clenched fists. Most of Keaton's gear was missing, save for that warped gun and a duck's unlimited jacket, which was found on the ground about 30 yards from his body, shredded and covered in blood. Authorities were reluctant to admit the existence of a Bigfoot creature and say it could have been a bear. And that's what I hear a lot said. Oftentimes when something like this erupts, whether it's somebody that's hurt or just deciding, oh, it was probably a bear. I don't know. You've probably heard that, too, that they tend to call it a bear. Oh, yeah. Tons of times. I mean, there's people that I've talked to that initially thought that whatever they were looking at was a bear. Bear are definitely different. They're not bipedal. They don't they can walk upright, but they can't run upright. There's there's a big difference in something running across a field, for example. They see something, a roadside crossing. A bear is not going to stand up on two legs and cross the street. Just doesn't happen. And I think a lot of times, you know, there's the missing 411, David Pilates. I've tried to get him on the show before. He doesn't talk about Bigfoot. He just flat out refused to come on my show because he didn't want to talk about Bigfoot. And then I go to a Bigfoot conference in Tennessee and he's there signing books. I don't understand that, but I digress. But he writes these books about the these missing people that go missing in the state parks. He draws these 
these correlations between all of these cases very similar to what you're talking about. Most of the time, these people are found miles and miles and miles away from where they disappear, or they're never found at all, or they're found in streams. And you know, most of them aren't injured in the way that you were just describing in the, the Keating the Keating story, but right. they're still very mysterious. And I'm, I'm certainly not on the, the bandwagon. A lot of people, thus while why David is signing books at a Bigfoot conference, a lot of people draw the parallel that Bigfoot is responsible for some or all of these disappearances in the state parks. And I think that could be the case. You know, I've talked about that on other shows before, and I think cryptids could be, particularly Bigfoot, maybe even Dogman, some of those other cryptids could cause some of these disappearances because they're just really, really strange. But typically the government says, or or the folks from the DNR will say, oh, it was a bear attack, and they just move on because that's easy. And most of the time, I think they probably believe what they're saying, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, but even if they did know, they're not going to come out and say, well, that wasn't a bear, it was a Bigfoot. I mean, they can't do that, right? No. You talk about cryptids. What other cryptids are there? I think there's tons, right? Because my main focus is Bigfoot. And I've talked to other people who have had other encounters. I've had a lady on the show who has encountered Dogman. Dogman? Dogman. Wow. Basically, you're talking about a werewolf, right? Dogman is the the new 21st century way to say werewolf. Mm-hmm. There is a difference, obviously, and, and there's little nuances we can go into. I think werewolf is more like a lichen, and it, it, you're talking about transformations. I think dogman is something that stays in that state all the time. Again, I'm not a cryptozoologist. I don't even play one on television. But when people talk about dogman, for example, Christine Ann was on the show, and she's had five encounters with what she describes as an upright by bipedal canine-like creature that's sort of more dog, Way what she described was way more dog than man, because some of the descriptions that I've heard from other people on other shows and things like that, it's more of a upright bipedal walking dog with hands and sort of like the American Werewolf in London, the, the 80s uh-huh. movie. If you can think, if you're thinking about that, that's basically in a nutshell what people are describing that they're seeing in these dogmen encounters. So I don't know what to make of that, right? I've, I've said it plenty of times. I, I can't check a box on what dogman is, how it survives, where it came from. I just don't know. There's. Oh, you say she had five encounters. So this leads me back to that. How is this one person having five encounters? Does she live in an area where they might reside so that she would have been able to see it five times? Or is she just randomly this person that sees it five times? I asked that question, right? And the, these encounters started in childhood, early childhood. I'm talking like prepubescence. And then carried on into later in her life when she's grown and moved many states over and she's an EMT on the job and she hits one of them with her truck. Oh (laughs) my. So yeah. And I asked that question, why do you think it's you that's having these encounters with Dogman? And she had gypsy blood and she had Native American blood in her family and that was her answer. She thought that they were more Maybe that was the connection, yeah. Yeah. That was her thought was maybe they were more open to or I don't think the right word would be susceptible to these encounters, but I think it that was her feeling at least is that she right. had something in her family tree that sort of allowed her to be open to having these sort of experiences. So I don't know. Interesting. And I've had a guy on the show who had a chupacabra encounter in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. He came on to tell me about he was working on a train. He was a part of a three-man crew on a like a train. 
and a Bigfoot crosses the train tracks in front of them. The conductor, the assistant conductor and him, this guy that came on the show, all saw this Bigfoot. And I said, wow, that's a cool experience. Very often when you have these types of encounters, one person seeing it, right? There's nobody there to corroborate the story. Well, now you have three people. And I thought that was very compelling. So he had had other experiences, some very similar to mine, where he was paced out of the woods. He heard some vocalizations and things in the woods, saw some footprints, but didn't see an actual Bigfoot later on in life. And then when I ask him if he'd had any other strange experiences, he tells me that he saw Chupacabra. <laughs> I'm like, what the what the hell is that? Of course, I'd heard of a Chupacabra. But, sure. You know, and he goes on to describe this three, four foot tall sort of lizard alien like creature that was running around his girlfriend's parents' home down in New Mexico when they went down to visit. And he didn't want to tell me. He didn't want to tell me the story. And he certainly didn't want to tell it on the air. He eventually did with some prompting from me because he was so insistent about his Bigfoot encounter being real. And he wanted people to understand that he had saw this Bigfoot, but he didn't want to muddy the waters with bringing Chupacabra on board because he thought people would think he's crazy. And I get that a lot. So I don't know. I mean, there's other Mothman. There's all these other cryptids that people see, reptilian sort of things, lizard men and things like that. I just I've had talks with people and who have mentioned those things in the past. I haven't done any shows on them because I'm just not there. I don't believe that they're necessarily lying, but I'm a little more apprehensive about those kind of things when it just gets so far out there in left field that, you know, there's not really a rational or couldn't be a rational flesh and blood sort of explanation, I guess. I'm just, I don't know. Makes for a good story, though. Definitely good stories, for sure. So let's switch over to your Paranormal Odyssey podcast. I actually fell into paranormal investigating myself, writing about true life accounts, led people in my direction who were looking for help and getting answers to strange activity occurring in their homes or businesses. And that's how I started. And I understand you're a paranormal investigator too, correct? Well, most of that investigation, if not all outside of a couple of things in the past, have have all been behind the microphone collecting other people's stories. The only real paranormal investigating I've ever done really was living in a haunted house when I was a, a child. We lived in a couple of houses that I had experiences in. And my mom has lived in some haunted places and my sister lived in a haunted house. And I actually caught an EVP in one of those places that my sister was having issues when I was sort of provoking one of the spirits. So you, you clearly are all very sensitive to spirit if you were able to have seen the ghosts in the house that you grew up in. Well, I never saw anything outside of shadows. There was sort of this ominous shadow figure that that I would wake up to at the foot of my bed and I would hear mm-hmm. sometimes scratching on the walls and some auditory things. And it's almost like... I don't want to admit to hearing voices, but it's kind of what it sounded like. Right. This, I, I really could never make out what it was saying, but it was just like muffled, the, muffled voices, but you couldn't understand exactly what was being said. Exactly. And it was enough to scare the shit out of me. And I would usually, oh, of course. I would leave, <laughs> I would leave my room and I would, I would go and curl up with my pillow on the, the foot of my mom and dad's bed or beside my mom and dad's bed. And they would wake up to find me in the floor most nights. And that house was very interesting because there was some alleged demonic activity. There was a couple of brothers who lived there that were supposedly into satanic worship and a Ooh, lot of things like that creepy. before that's we creepy. moved in. So right. 
but still that's really creepy that stuff kind of lingers yeah and it was you know i was again i think the more i've investigated the more i've talked to people a lot of the cases of paranormal stuff happening is prepubescent boys and girls and that's exactly where i was at that time in my life when we lived in that house and i had tons of experiences there that's the same house where i had the the bigfoot encounter in the woods or what i believe to be a bigfoot encounter and i've since talked i've been on another show in the past with someone who deals in demonology that's sort of his specialty and while he was interviewing me i told him about the bigfoot encounter and i told him about the situation in the house and he was saying to me have you ever considered that what you heard and experienced in the woods wasn't bigfoot maybe Maybe it was one of these demonic things that you were dealing with in the house that followed you outside. The growl. Yeah, I was like, wow, I never... I never even considered that. It just seemed very flesh and blood and very real to me Yes. at the time. But again, you know, I leave my mind open and say, you know, it could have been. I don't know. Sure. What do you consider definitive proof that goes surreal? I mean, I, I think we both agree that EVPs and audio, I think that's probably my one go-to. Yeah, I think that's probably where I am. You know, I've seen some very compelling things, caught orbs on video in places they were supposedly haunted. I've I've experienced orbs. I actually did a show, I don't know, four or five shows ago with, I think Kelly Joe was on and it was all about orbs. And she captures these orbs on video in her home all the time and she interacts with them. They almost sort of on cue at times appear and disappear and do things that she asks them to do. So I've not had those kind of experiences, but I've taken tons of photos where I'm in a haunted house. My in-laws lived in a house that I believe to be haunted several years years ago and I've had pictures taken of me in there and there's orbs all around my head. It's just just weird things, but that's not proof of anything. So at the end of the day, particularly with the paranormal and ghost, it's very difficult to say what is definitive because you can't capture one, right? There's no, if you find a Bigfoot in the woods, you can shoot it and drag it in and say, hey, here it is. But how do you prove that a ghost exists other than showing pictures and video and capturing disembodied voices and things like that? So that's a tough question. I mean, for me, it's probably it goes back to the audio and it's hard to dispute that something that's you can't see something moving physical objects i've seen plenty of videos where things have been moved and that's that's pretty definitive to me that something is going on i don't know exactly what it is but definitely something's happening yeah well speaking to the orbs pictures if you get a really good picture of an orb and you start zooming in on it oftentimes you can actually see a figure in that orb because the orb is essentially the spirit in orb form kelly joe and i talked a little bit about that and she had done that in in the past. And I, I'm pretty skeptical. I'm a healthy skeptic when it comes to all this stuff. And of course, I went straight to, well, a lot of that can be pareidolia, right? The, I see all kinds of things in my shower. Talk to Doug Highcheck. I've had Doug on the show plenty of times from Monster Quest. And Doug says, hey, I see Bigfoot 12 times a day in my shower. And we <laughs> laugh about it. But he's like, this water forms on this tile. And of course, I'm all about Bigfoot. So I see these little baby Bigfoot all the time in my shower. So it's kind of a running joke. But it, certainly, I've, I've seen orbs that people have sent me pictures of and I've seen them on shows and things like that and you can certainly see what appears to be a face or a figure so I certainly don't 
doubt that. I believe that that certainly, if those orbs that are captured are spirits, then that makes sense to me. If it's not a dust particle or if it's not a gnat or if it's not an insect or something like that, it's got to be life or some sort of a life form. So that would make sense to me. So I, I don't discount it. I just, I'm a little bit more skeptical when it comes to that because I believe a lot of times people see what they want to see. In my Lady Ghostbuster team, there's definitely a healthy division between orbs and whether they are orbs or not. There's definitely those that are saying, you know, orbs are legit and other ones that orbs are most of the time dust particles or whatever. And then we'll have a healthy argument over people zooming in and, and getting pictures. But I often think a lot of times people are quick to call it pareidolia. Yeah, they're quick to call it that. When I was just thinking about this the other day, like, what if it's really not? You know, what if it's actually something and we're just so quick to label it that? You know what I mean? Because it's the easy out. It's the easy explanation. Sure. And I, I think for me, I'm probably a little bit worse when it comes to that skepticism, when it comes to pareidolia in orbs, for example, because I deal with it so often in the Bigfoot world. I have a Facebook fans group for the show. It's probably got 1,200 members in it. And people post things there all the time and in all the other Bigfoot groups that I'm in on Facebook. And you see these pictures that people post. And there's one particular guy in the group that he's a fan of the show and, and I appreciate that very much. But he posts these pictures and he's like, hey, look at this Bigfoot that followed me yesterday. <sighs> and it's a picture of a rock. And I'm mm -hmm. like, you know, and he's circling and he's doing that famous red circle and the red X and the red arrow. <laughs> And he's pointing and I'm like, dude, that is a rock. And he just gets pissed off. And I'm like, I don't know if that's some sort of mental health issue going on or if it is yeah. pareidolia. I get these pictures all the time. People take random pictures of the woods and then they send them to me and say, hey, look, here's a Bigfoot I found in this picture that I took four weeks ago. And I'm like, if you took the picture and you didn't see it at the time you took the picture and you've had to study it for four weeks to find it, it's probably not there. <laughs> It's pareidolia, dude. It doesn't exist. It's not real. Right. And so I'm a little skewed when it comes to things like that. So mm -hmm. when people send me orb pictures and say, hey, look, there's a smiley face. Well, people have seen Jesus on their toast and all kinds of crazy things. So, you know, I'm just not quite there yet. So I'm a little bit more skeptical when it comes to that. But I leave my mind open. In your opinion, from all the ghostly and paranormal stories that you have heard, what do you feel are the most haunted places in America? Ooh, that's a tough question. I've been to some of the more haunted places. I've been to Savannah, Georgia. I've been to New Orleans, and I've never really had any experiences there. But what is it? The Allegheny State Prison. God, I just interviewed a guy recently who was telling me about some really famous haunted places that he has been. It's really hard to say what's the most haunted, right? I mean, I, I, that can be some what subjective because I think a lot of things happen in places that we don't know about. There's plenty of haunted houses and areas and things that we probably don't know just because it's not a known spot. Anybody who wants to know where some of the most haunted places are can turn on ghost adventures or ghost hunters or whatever the case may be and they're they're gonna go to all these places. There's some other lesser known places. The Sally House for example. I've heard other shows do shows on the Sally House. I'm very interested in that. Some people go in there and have tons of experiences and some people go in and never have an experience at all. So yeah, you're absolutely right. You're, you're absolutely right that it is subjective. I mean, I had a, a reader say, well, I don't know any of these places. Then I was like, don't you want to find out about the places that you haven't heard about yet? Like the ones that we've heard about, we've heard about over and over and over again. And every now and again, I'd like to hear something about them. Yeah. But 
I like to hear about the places that I don't know about, places that are even people's homes or businesses that are haunted that I've never heard about. And then Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, everybody is always hyping that up, that it's so haunted. And I'm sure that there's a lot of residual energy going on over there because of the war and its history. But there are people that I've known that are mediums that have gone there and they're like, nothing happened. So I think it is subjective. I think it is a personal experience. I think you have to be at the right place at the right time. And it may not always happen, even if you wanted to. Yeah. And I think people that are a little bit more open to those kind of things, because nobody really outside of me ever experienced anything in my in-laws home. I would literally not go in the basement of that house. And if I did, I would run up the stairs because I felt like something was physically pushing me up the stairs. It was horrifying. And I'm a grown ass man who carries a gun for a living. And but I'd have conversations with them and they're like, no, I mean, we've never experienced anything here. And I, I'm like, OK, well, maybe it's just me. I don't know. I've often wondered about new basements. What's the thing about basements? I, from what people have told me that I've worked with, that spirits like to head towards the attics in the basements when people are in the living space because they just want their own space. But I don't know what it is about basements. I was freaked out about them myself and my children as well. I don't know if it's just the whole idea of the basement. <laughs> yeah, but the, the weird thing is, is I would go to that house and have those experiences. And we had a full basement in our house in East Atlanta at the time. And nothing. I was perfectly fine down there. I could go down there and turn the lights out and sit in the floor and be by myself and be just fine. In the middle of the day, three o'clock in the afternoon with every light on, I would run up the stairs in their basement to get out of there because I felt like something was chasing me. It's just weird. Was their basement like an old, dingy dungeon type of basement or was it just like it shouldn't be something that frightens me kind of basement? Totally something that shouldn't have frightened me. Open, spacious. I mean, it was just storage. Uh It wasn't, it was just a storage space, unfinished and totally shouldn't have freaked me out at all. Just a feeling that you had. Yeah. That probably plays onto your sensitivity. You're probably sensing something down there that was freaking you out. Interesting. Yeah, usually I can see when somebody says if a basement's in an old home, like from the 1800s, and the basements are usually old and dingy and unfinished and getting creeped out from that is definitely understandable, right? Yeah, for sure. But this was definitely not that. What would you say is your most favored paranormal subject or phenomenon? I think if I had to pick something, it's probably going to piss my Bigfoot listeners off, but I'd probably have to say UFOs. I think that's probably the thing that I'm interested in the most because it's the one thing that I've had a definitive sighting of and I can't explain it. So I think that's probably what pushes me to try to figure out UFOs more than anything is because I've seen one and I don't know what the hell they are. I don't know where they come from. I don't know what they are. And there's just... There's so many stories out there from so many different people and so many different places. Again, it's like Bigfoot. It's like the paranormal. Something's going on here. I just don't know what it is. And I'm one of those people that feels like if we're here on this planet, there's got to be something going on on any of the other planets. I feel like they're, we're not the only ones. Yeah, and I used to think I was in that camp of, well, aliens are coming from Timbuktu. You know, they're coming from 14 billion light years away to visit us here on Earth. And the more I've talked to people, I'm not so sure that I'm right about that. I, I sort of, I'm leaning in the direction of this multidimensional type of thing and that, that's certainly a whole another story in, of, in and of itself but oh I know exactly what you're talking about I've been hearing a lot about that myself lately and I, I hear what you mean I, yeah the dimensions yeah it almost makes more sense to me because yeah a 
why would they be coming 14 billion light years to visit us? So there's the first question. And this multidimensional thing explains a lot of things. I'm not one of these people who like to explain the unexplainable by something else that's unexplainable and just say, oh, there you go. Well, that explains it. Well, no, it really doesn't. But you're talking about alien craft and, and alien beings, and they seem to appear and disappear at will. Exactly. And yep. it just makes more sense to me that maybe there's something from another dimension there. They are, they're able to bend space and time in a way that we don't mm-hmm. understand. And maybe it's it's a combination of all those things. Maybe it's interdimensional. Maybe they're bending space and time, and they are able to go a billion light years and a snap of a finger. I, I don't know. But I think UFOs is probably the biggest enigma for me and the biggest phenomenon that I would like to have some answers to because I've, I've seen one and I just don't know what it is. Now you say that happened to you when you were 16, right? Yes. What was it exactly that happened? Well, I was at home. I was on the phone with a friend of mine from school. And it was pretty late at night. I, it must have been a weekend. I don't I don't remember. I'm not one of these people that can recall. I don't know what I ate for breakfast this morning. So some of my memories are sort of vague. But this mm-hmm. one obviously stuck out because I saw a UFO. So my mom's coming home from the store. And we lived in a small town in Georgia. And she comes in and she's like, get off the phone. You got to come outside. Get off the phone. You got to come outside. And I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you? And she's like, get off the phone and come outside. So we walk out the back door and she just points up. It's almost like a scene out of a movie where she's kind of in this trance and she's pointing up at the sky. And I look up and there is this huge craft. It's this huge metallic smooth craft with no lights. There was no lights. There was no sound. There was no seams. There was no nothing. And it was just there floating. Probably, I mean, I'm estimating. I've estimated before. I'm, I'm, I suck at estimations when it comes to size, especially something that's in the sky. You have no real reference point. But I would imagine right. it was probably six to eight hundred feet wide and and just as long. It was sort of like this disc with a a hump almost. I, I know it's probably not making a whole lot of sense, but and this thing is probably I don't know. I'm I'm. Again, I'm estimating it was maybe a quarter of a mile away from us in the sky. And the only light is coming from the moon and it's reflecting off of it. And it's just going through the sky very slowly, almost like a hot air balloon sort of. Or, yeah, or a blimp kind yeah, of. Yeah, blimp sort of hot air balloon sort of movement. And it's kind of coming towards us and then it sort of makes a right turn and goes down. We watch it go down behind this ridge behind our house and disappear. And it was gone. I mean, we probably saw it for, I don't know, a minute and a half, two minutes, something like that. And I'm just like, what in the hell was that? Wow. And we're just in awe. I mean, we're literally dumbstruck. And my mom being who she is, you know, she got on the phone. She starts calling the police. She's calling radio stations. She's calling, <laughs> she's calling everybody like, I want to know what the hell that was. Did anybody else see it? And I think she ended up finding that maybe one or two people might have called a radio station or maybe, maybe it was the police. I don't remember. And reported something very similar. But that was it. Literally like two people besides us. And I know other people had to see this thing. It was huge. Sure. But that was it. I mean, and it just, I mean, that that sticks with you, right? It's it's not supposed to exist. There wasn't drones when I was 16. I'm 47 years old. There wasn't drones back then, right? It wasn't a blimp. It wasn't a hot air balloon. It wasn't a drone. It wasn't a plane. Like, yeah, it wasn't, nobody released one of these happy birthday balloons you buy at Kroger. That's not what it was. So what was it? I don't know. Right. 
I interviewed an, an elderly gentleman. He's in his 80s now, but back in the 60s, he was a Patterson, New Jersey police officer. And he was on duty and called to the scene at the Wanakee Reservoir, where hundreds of people saw this craft hovering above the reservoir and this beam of light shining down onto the water as if it was melting the ice on the reservoir. Uh, and that's exactly how they described it. This beam of light came from this spaceship and it was appearing to melt the ice below. And so everybody was seeing it from a distance and was rushing to the reservoir because they wanted to get a closer look. And so he was on duty and he and his partner were sent to go and keep the crowds at bay. And when they got there, they were instructed by a military guy to take a jeep up to the top of the reservoir because the barricade was knocked down. They were afraid the people had gone up further towards the reservoir itself and they wanted to make sure that they got them down. And so I was interviewing him about his account of what he and his partner saw when they went up to the reservoir. And I mean, this is, you know, legit, a a retired police officer. And he said they didn't talk about it for years. He said in the privacy, when they were alone, they talked about it for their own sanity because they never, ever forgot that experience. In fact, they had interaction with the professor who worked on Project Blue Book. He was sending them paperwork to fill out and they had confiscated their cameras and he wanted his camera back with the pictures because he wanted to be able to show people what he saw. I mean, it was a whole big thing. And he said they were afraid to talk about it because they were up for promotions and they didn't want people to think that they were crazy. So they didn't talk about it. And he said, as soon as he was retired, he never shut up. He said, as soon as I was retired, I told everybody and anyone that I could about what happened because it happened. And then when I told him that Project Blue Book was made into television, program where they were taking this professor's stories from his journal because he wrote two journals. He wrote the journal that the government told him to write these false stories to cover up whatever it was that they were investigating. And then he kept the journal with the true story and what actually happened. And so this is what this Project Blue Book miniseries was about. And he said, oh my goodness, I hope they have the Wanakee Reservoir story in it because I would love to hear what he had written about that particular incident. But it definitely was a craft that was melting the ice because he and his part almost fell into it when they were up there riding on the ice on their jeep and hundreds of people saw it so it's so unusual that the incident that happened with you and your mom that just a handful of people saw it but it could be because you said it was very quiet moving and there was no lights you know it's more likely when there's this big thing with all the lights and like this particular story i just told you about the light was shining down on the water you know, melting the ice, that's something that's going to draw more attention than something that's got no lights and is barely moving. Yeah, it was certainly not the Phoenix Lights situation that we had in the small Georgia town. But like you said, I think that happens a lot of times. I think people like the police officer, for example, they just don't talk about it. People have these experiences and that's a pretty common thing that I've seen doing these interviews. The theme becomes, you know, we saw this thing. We didn't really talk about it. We don't talk about it even to this day because people just say, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to, I want to put it out of my mind. I don't want to revisit that situation. I just want to move on and move ahead and I'm done. And there are some people like that. And then there's some people like me who want to push forward and find those answers. So I think it's a very individual thing. I think it's a very private thing for a lot of people. You know, and I've talked to so many people that have had UFO encounters. You know, I've had people on the show that have been within 10 or 15 feet of a craft and they've suffered health 
issues afterwards. No history of cancer in their family. They're now battling cancer after they've had these burns from these craft, like close encounter of the second kind and third kind. Right. And I've, I've had people on the show that have been abducted by aliens multiple times. Those stories are a little difficult for me. I have Some of them are pretty crazy. <laughs> right, right. And I, I just physically and, and mentally and emotionally can't wrap my brain around being abducted by aliens. Hey, what, what are they doing? What do they want? You know, and then you just go into this rabbit hole of what ifs and, and what's going on. But at the end of the day, I don't exclude those things on the show. I think they're just as important as anything else. And those people who have had those experiences, they are their experiences. And I just put them out there for people to digest and take what they want and leave the rest, basically. Right. Well, I've really enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me. Why don't you go ahead and tell the audience where they can look you up in your programs if you have a website. Share that with them. Sure. SasquatchOdyssey.net is where you can get the Bigfoot stuff. Every episode's up there. I've got a page up for the Paranormal Odyssey. I don't have a separate website for Paranormal Odyssey. I just don't have time. I have a producer on the show that handles all the ins and outs of the daily shows, but I'm actually starting a new show. I'm starting a true crime Odyssey podcast after the first of the year. So the easiest way to find any of those things is any of your podcatchers. You can go Sasquatch Odyssey, Paranormal Odyssey, True Crime Odyssey, put it in your podcatcher search bar and it'll find the shows for you. Or go directly to the website and check out SasquatchOdyssey.net. They all sound so exciting. And I'm definitely a true crime uh, addict. I mean, I'm always listening to true crime. So I will definitely be tuning into that one. Definitely going to be some interesting stories. I'm actually going to start that with a personal story of mine. My grandmother was murdered when I was six years old. So I'm actually going to have my mom on. And we're going to actually talk about her murder. And that's going to be the first show in the series. So it should be oh, interesting. Oh, boy. One that's close to your heart. Definitely. Wow. Well, I look forward to it. I appreciate it very much. Brian, thank you so much for joining me. It was a pleasure, Eleanor. Thank you. Ghostly listeners, you can follow me on my website, authoreleanorwagner.com, where there are links to my books and video updates and photographs from all the Lady Ghostbuster investigations. Also, you can sign up or level up on my author Eleanor Wagner Patreon program. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, where you will find special bonus opportunities only available to its patrons, such as one-on-ones with me and co-hosting opportunities on episodes of Eleanor Wagner's Strange and Scary World podcast. Thank you, paranormal enthusiasts, for tuning in today. I hope you'll come back again. Remember to tap into your own gifts. Everyone has them. And in the meantime, make sure you're creeping it real. Credit card bill. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 